We open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And we're really going to be focusing on the the latter part, the latter phrase, uh, as our focus this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Verse 20 of Luke chapter 2. And again, the, the latter part of what Christ says to us. We remember recently in Philippians, we were called upon to rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And here's a reason among many that Christ gives to us to rejoice. Here now the scriptures, Luke 10, verse 20. Notwithstanding in this rejoice, not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And that's the part we focus on. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, we'll recall the context, and there's a contrast being made of what not to be rejoicing and focusing in, or at least not to be what what we get all excited about. The main thing, Jesus says, the main thing to be rejoicing about is not whatever spiritual gifts are in this case um, you know, spiritual works of miracles and things, witnessing to the coming of Christ. All these things that, are, that he does in this world is great, but it's all leading to what is the greatest hope? What is the greatest thing to rejoice in? That your name is written in heaven. Because without your name being written in heaven, you won't find yourself in heaven. But if your name is written in heaven, you will find yourself in heaven. And this is the ultimate cause of rejoicing, beloved. And this gives us an opportunity to rejoice because it gives us assurance. There doesn't have to be that fear about what if, will I be good enough? Can Christ forgive all my sins? There is a promise of assurance. And that's what we're focusing on today, the doctrine of assurance. And as you know, the reason I'm doing topical sermons today as they're more manageable, not as much research to be involved and easier to kind of focus on something for, for time's sake. It was a busy week, especially as the tournament, uh, uh, the annual tournament that we hold in our homeschooling group here. Uh, it was really large and a lot of work for the parents involved. So uh, I kind of expected I'd be going ahead waiting on next to Jesus, Lord willing, get back to Deuteronomy and Philippians as we've been there again next week. Um, And what I want to share with you actually is something that was uh, shared with me in one of these these speeches. So parent and community judges go into rooms and hear a number of people giving speeches or in other context debates. This was a speech, and the category was apologetics. So the the student comes in and has to pick among a number of categories uh, that are laid out on the table. There's just a few of, of many possibilities. And it's very similar to the kinds of things our shorter catechism goes through. In fact, uh, many will use the catechism for some of the answer. And the, the, the question, and then you're given a limited amount of time to prepare, looking at note cards, things you've hopefully been able to prepare for this question and, and talk off the cuff about it. The question was, how can a Christian have assurance of salvation. That was the question the student was to answer. By the way, her name is Faith Lakey. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I noted on her her judge's form, great illustration. I'm a pastor and I'm going to use this in a sermon and I'll credit you. I almost forgot to credit her name. I went back and looked at it. I took a picture of the form so I wouldn't forget. So her name's Faith Lakey. I don't know her. I don't know where she's from. 
Uh, although it's interesting that the tournament, just to give you a sense of the size, uh, it was quite large, almost 300 students, and that's not including all the others there to, to be part of it. Uh, but uh, there were people from different states, including Oklahoma, including all the way from New Hampshire. Somebody came all the way from New Hampshire for this tournament. So I don't know where she came from, uh, but her name is Faith Lakey. And in answering this question, she opened with something that I just wanted to pass on to you, and so I'm, I'm using this opportunity to do so and to revisit with you the doctrine of assurance. I think that's something that uh, is a blessing to revisit, and um, it comes out in different ways through exegetical sermons, but let us, let us bask in the, the blessed doctrine of assurance of salvation. And that you know you can be assured, but also uh, to be, 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 make sure that we are assured and that we're not worried about it so much as growing and looking for the return of Christ. Here's her illustration. She said when she goes to the airport, she often notices there's two groups of people. So uh, you, you think about which one you are in this scenario. <laughs> she says there's two groups of people, particularly I have envisioned at the gate. Some of them are standing and pacing and looking very nervous. The others are sitting, reading a book, eating something, suitcase, feet on the suitcase, what have you, looking very relaxed. And she said to her mom, what's the difference? Why are, why are some people looking like that and all nervous and worried and the others are sitting looking nice and peaceful? And her mother explained, it's because those who are standing, talking to the person at the, near the gate and stuff, are on standby. They don't have a ticket yet. They're hoping to get a ticket. They're hoping to get a seat on the plane. And they have not yet gotten it confirmed. So there's no sense of assurance they're going to make their destination. There's no guarantee. And so the effect is being unsettled. A lack of peace. Whereas those who are sitting and relaxing, got the earbuds in, they've got their ticket. They've got their name on the ticket. They know the seat number. They know they got a name on, uh, uh, for being on the plane and for when they get there at the arrivals. Their name is there. Everyone understands that they're supposed to be on. So they know that they've got it settled. They don't need to worry. There's nothing to do. It's been taken care of. I thought that was a pretty good illustration to be thinking about assurance. And, and really, we want to think about it mostly positively today. Beloved, Jesus Christ has bought your ticket. He's purchased you. He's paid for you in full with the redemption of his blood. You, he's got your name. You don't need to be standing worried about it and wondering and getting all upset. If you have trusted in Lord Jesus Christ, he's blessed you with faith to receive of his good gift of salvation and redemption. You have assurance. It's based on the truth of the scriptures. And it is something that can wane. We'll, we'll review some things with the Westminster Confession today. It can, it can, your assurance is a, your sense of salvation, but you can have it. There are times where you may struggle and not have a sense of assurance, but it doesn't mean you're not saved. And the way that you get that assurance, and we'll see we're supposed to get the assurance, is to go back and study these things and pray, help thou my unbelief, increase my faith, remind me I do believe these things, Lord, and we'll see how uh, serving the Lord plays into it too. But the big difference is knowing for sure where you're going to end up. Knowing for sure you got a name with your ticket on it. That your name is recognized and has been given a reservation. 
And it is a big difference to be assured of being saved from hell and into heaven. It's one to rejoice over, Jesus says. It's one to rejoice over. He encourages us to be assured and to rejoice in that assurance. Beloved, because your tickets again have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Though Jesus gives you victory to be more than conquerors in this life, what you should rejoice and look forward to the most is that he has secured you. He secured for you the next eternal life. I give that to you as the the main idea of, of the text as we're focusing on the latter part and thinking about assurance. Though Jesus gives you victory to be more than conquerors in this life, what you should rejoice and look forward to the most is that he has secured for you the next eternal life. Having your names written in heaven with him, he assures you that you will be there. That's it. Daniel 12, verse 1. We're going to review a few scriptures that bring up this idea of this book of life, these names being recorded. Daniel 12, verse 1. And at the time, excuse me, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Now remember, this is not that God looks ahead and knows if we're good enough, right? This is the book. No, it's Ephesians. It says, God has before the foundation of the world ordained us unto everlasting life. Psalm 69, verses 28 to 30, what we just sang together, speaks of this in more of a dark tone, but understanding how good, how necessary it is to be written in the book of life and the assurance that comes from that. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. There's that concern. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of figurative. People, God's people are there because he's put them there from all eternity. But there's that sense of those who, as Paul talks about other places in John, I believe, they, they were with us, but they left us because they weren't really ever of us, right? And so there's that sense of the uh, the chaff being separated from the wheat in the end. But the wheat remains, or the goats being separated from the sheep. But the sheep remain. Why? Because they have been made God's sheep from all eternity. Their names have been written in the book of life. I was thinking, uh, as I've been starting uh, my reading of the Bible in a few years through my, through my new Bible's uh, guide. And so I've been in Genesis, of course, and uh, I was just thinking again about how Adam's job is to name the animals, and it's, it's kind of neat. It's a, it's a neat duty of showing that um, ownership and care and, and rule over them, and I couldn't help but think, you know, Rachel, when she was young, she would name everything. I name it this, I, and I, well, Rachel, it already has a name. You can't take that over, but it occurred to me, and some of the other kids have done that. It's, it's almost in our nature to do that, isn't it, as have children of Adam. It's just in our nature to name, to categorize, to to have a sense of ownership and connection and, and service. And you see, God, as our creator and our redeemer, 
he has our names. He, he names the things, those whom he loves. He has a name. He doesn't forget. He has a connection. He has an ownership of going through the list. Everybody here? I don't leave without any of them. And then we rejoice that our names would be written in the book of the living, that of the righteous. Isaiah 4, verse 3. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Philippians 4, verse 3, where we were uh, in evening sermons not too long ago. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. He's actually recognizing these folks, their names are surely written in the book of life. And he's not claiming to be God, but there is evidence that others can look at and say, sure looks like assurance to me. And we're going to look at in the catechism what this relates to. But notice he says, my fellow laborers. And the letter to the Philippians, they've been working together for years. He's writing from prison. He's writing to help them through things. He's encouraging the maintain unity based on one of the things. He says, I see how long you work for the Lord. I don't doubt your believers. Let's not let little things divide us. Let's keep the unity together. You who have your names written in the book of life. Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 23. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So there is this regular idea that there is an account of the names of those whom God has elected and saves, and we should be rejoicing. Now, of course, there can be a call, the outward call to people, make sure, if you want assurance, that you know you got your name on a ticket, that you know your name is in Christ. There is that sense to call others who could even have a false assurance, uh, we'll look at in the confession uh, but, but notice there's this idea that uh, you rejoice in it. Paul talks about it uh, with some in Philippians we see there, written in the book of life. There's that sense of having your name printed, that guarantee of being meeting your destination through Christ. Well, uh, if, if you have your confession of faith with you, turn with me to chapter 18. I know we don't really go to them till the evening. Um, or if you might have it on your, on your phones. And, and don't worry, I'll be happy to just read for you. But I'm going to turn to chapter 18, and I want to remind you, the Confession of Faith has a chapter on assurance. And you might recall we were there Wednesday nights not too long ago, and you can revisit that online on Sermon Audio to get a lot more detail. I'm, going to, I'm not going to give you uh, very much from the class, but I will remind you that the Confession of Faith is a, is a little bit uh, unusual or more developed by my understanding uh, from one of my professors that the other great confession reform standards don't have as much dedicated to it as our confession does, which is why when I remember it was Dr. Spear, actually, I remember when, uh, who I know Debbie Ragland knows, um, 
when it is said that other confessions might be more warm and personal, his answer, and he was a very quiet person, but his answer was, ha! <laughs> Look at this chapter on assurance, who you don't have this, right? So this is a, a great minister, a great place to go to minister to one another and ourselves. Of the assurance of grace and salvation, chapter 18. And I'd like to go through it with you and highlight a few of the scriptures. So first, chapter 1. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and a state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish. Yet, this is what we focus on, such as truly believe in the Lord and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. That last part I would highlight. Notice, we can rejoice. We can certainly be assured. No one should be given much uh, esteem who tells us you can't have assurance of salvation. We can certainly be assured. In fact, we're told here to rejoice in this hope, knowing that we'll never be ashamed. It won't be turned on us. That's what Jesus says in our text. Rejoice. Your names are written in heaven. And uh, a few scriptures I'd like to look at, if you're following uh, letter C, let me read the scriptures given there. 1 John 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before men. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Verse 24, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. First John five thirteen, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And that's the purpose of John's letter, that you may know you have eternal life. Uh, a lot of those verses that came before demonstrate what, we'll, what I alluded to earlier, thinking of Philippians 4.3, and where this will bring us in the catechism, or in the confession, good works. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2, right? Knowing it's God that worketh in us both to will and do of his good pleasure, but working, cooperating, growing and serving him. These are signs that say to our own hearts, not just to the world, that we're the Lord's, because we won't want to keep repenting and keep changing and keep doing better and serving the Lord if, if we're not really his. And the Lord will assure us and say, well done, my son, my daughter. Um, but notice in 1 John 5, the, the main idea is that you may know. The idea of being assured, that word was used earlier. But you may know is something he says regularly, that you have eternal life. How can you know for sure? Don't be arrogant. The Bible says. What's the point if you can't have assurance? Well, how's that going to work? You're just going to be like those people standing on standby. What kind of witness is that going to be the world? And what are you going to be able to accomplish for the Lord if you're biting your nails at standby all the time? That you may know. 
look at the scriptures for letter D, Romans 5, 2. By whom also we have access by faith, this is Christ, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. This is an important one that comes up in a number of the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is a seal for us. It's a a down payment uh, for us. He is there with us, comforting us, ministering, working within us, and sometimes sadly grieving about us, grieving him. But the Spirit is with us and will not be taken away. He is applying redemption and bringing us into heaven. Let's look at section 2 of the Confession, on chapter 18 on assurance. This certainty, certain assurance, remember, this certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made. The testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, whereby we are sealed, sealed to the day of redemption. Well, let's look at... uh, Letter E there, Hebrews 6.11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Hebrews 6.17. Wherein God willing, and this is uh, for letter F, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it with an oath. And uh, verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now, look at uh, letter G there, 2 Peter 1, verse 4, and I, I think this is one to highlight. Whereby we are given unto, uh, excuse me, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and, verse 5, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, verse 10, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. You shouldn't have the arrogance to think you can know for sure. You're commanded to, see here. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll look at letter H now, Romans eight fifteen. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, 
Verse 16, the Spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Beloved, those who are not of the Lord do not cry out to him, Father. They don't cry out with the spirit of a son or a daughter. Oh, they may hope that God will provide something or that they might be not destroyed in punishment of something. A consequence won't catch them, but a worldly sorrow. But the child of God has a godly sorrow, cries out concern for their father. And the spirit, notice this in verse 16. This is one I would also highlight on the doctrine of assurance. Romans eight sixteen. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The spirit makes us believe the scriptures, but there is an aspect of that assurance, that sense the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit's working in us and has saved us and made us a child. And the Spirit talks to our spirit and confirms we're the children of God, assures us of our salvation. For God loves and therefore saves all his children. Ephesians 1.13, letter I. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Notice, purchased. You've been purchased. You're on the plane. Just to think of an overlapping illustration. I don't want to say you're God's luggage exactly, but we do think of, you know, we're property of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't forget you. He doesn't leave you behind. You're on the plane with him. He's purchased you. For his own praise and glory, nonetheless, he's purchased you. Also in letter I, Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Notice in the same sentence, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't sin, don't cause him grief. But in the same sentence, you've been sealed by him for the day of redemption. Walk in the Spirit, because you are in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.21, Now, he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God. Verse 22, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Again, that idea that not only is our, are our names written in heaven, but the Spirit of Christ from heaven is in us and within us. Marked, you know, we have the name tag on us if we want to think of ourselves that way. as long. You know, we can't be mistaken. That's mine. Grabs it off the conveyor belt after, the, after you reach your destination. Uh, let's look now at section 3 of uh, the Assurance of Salvation, chapter 18 of the Confession of Faith. The infallible assurance doth not so belong to the essence of faith. I want to emphasize that our confession is, is very clear on this and deliberate and, and biblical. You might have faith and you might not feel anything sometimes. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. And you're called, as we've seen, to develop that assurance of faith. The infallible assurance doth not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he partake of it. Yet, being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given to him of God, he may, without extraordinary revelation, okay? You don't need some neon sign with your name out there on a city building one night while it's raining and lightning strikes it. It must be that I'm saved. You don't need extraordinary revelation. You need the Bible and the Holy Spirit. 
without extraordinary revelation and the right use of ordinary means, attain thereunto. And therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance. So far is it from inclining men to looseness. Now, see, they're dealing with that really warning that the Roman Catholic Church would often give. You, you think you have assurance of salvation. You're not going to do good works. They say, actually, good works flow from assurance. And they build assurance and make you want to do more good works. I want to look at a few scriptures with you also in uh, section 3. Uh, let's look at letter M for section 3. Second Peter 1.10, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. That we've looked at that already, um, but that bears repeating. Romans 5, verse 1, letter N, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul can tell us in Philippians 4 where we've been to pray, turn your worries into prayers and have the peace of God, pass all understanding. Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice of hope of the glory of God. Verse 5, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Notice that work of the Holy Ghost uh, that person of the Trinity that has so much to do with assurance. He assures us we're the children of God, works in us, blesses us. But uh, notice again this idea of the hope of the glory of God. We, that grace by wherein we stand, we have access. Access. See, it's not really that the destination is ultimately future for us. We've, there's that already not yet experience of the Christian in the church. We are already in Christ. Ephes- uh, Colossians 3 tells us, our lives are hid in Christ with Christ in heaven at the right hand of God where he sits at his throne. We're already in heaven in a sense. We're already there. We're already citizens of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We've already got access. And that assurance, therefore, will have full access in the end. Look with me uh, at also at the end of section N, Psalm 119, verse 32. I will run the way of thy commandments, when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Now I want to recognize there that idea of commandments again. Uh, we've seen this come up. Uh, I've been touching on it. Uh, but notice there is an assurance that comes when we live God's ways. When we live his commandments, it shows we love him and that he loves us. Because love, God's love is what makes us love him. Because remember, the keeping of commandments, the Bible says, is love. Loving God and loving Christ, loving his people. So as he would help us do good works which is to do his commandments by the Spirit for God's glory and not our own. Uh, You can go look at, uh, we won't turn there now, but the Confession of Faith, chapter 16 of Good Works, section 2, points out that God uses your living out good works to help you grow in assurance. And isn't it, beloved, the lack of good works and actually wicked works that causes us to doubt our assurance of faith? And Satan would have you think you don't dare presume upon God and think he can save you. You have enough. You don't dare presume you can have assurance. You should just be miserable, focus on these bad things, and then keep doing bad things, therefore, which will just make you have less. 
No, God says, turn back, repent, start serving better now in the spirit by the blood of the everlasting covenant and enjoy more assurance that comes with it. It's just a reality of things. So seek out your assurance and recognize that good works, doing the right thing according to God's word, the Lord will, re- will work with you. And just as we say to our children, you see, you just obeyed God and you see how your heart doesn't that touch. And they say yes. Even the little ones, yes, my heart feels good. And the Spirit does that, confirms and blesses when we, when we do work with our Father in heaven and with our parents on earth. Well, look at uh, se- letter O for section 3 also. Um, and I want to look at uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 within it. So a little ways down there. Having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. As we give ourselves to these things, we'll grow. And then Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, again, beloved, this is true, now, therefore, assurance of the future. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Now let's read section 4 and we'll complete the confession on assurance. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted as by negligence in preserving of it, by falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. Yet, so they say even true believers can have their sense of assurance of faith and salvation They can have less of a sense of it. But it doesn't mean it's not there. But this is helpful and pastoral to know. There are times, even in God's providence, to allow this, if it's not even related to sin, for things he's doing and developing in you. There are times when you might lack a sense of assurance. Yet, that being said, they continue. Are they, true believers, never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived, and by the which, in the meantime, they are supported from utter despair. So the sermon could be about grow your assurance, but that's not what it's about today. It's just to rejoice in it. But recognize as you might need to be called upon to grow in it and develop it in these means that are spoken of and to flee from many of the things that may drain that sense of assurance. Recognize you can revive it. You're called upon to revive it. In the meantime, however, however, the Lord will never give you over to utter despair like Judas. He'll bring you back like Peter. There'll never be that point where he gives you over to utter despair. And let's remember, we studied not too long ago, we revisited some things uh, as we went through uh, Pilgrim's Progress with Derek Thomas's videos. And there were a lot of overlapping things recalled uh, from our earlier studies on despair. 
namely through the Art of Divine Contentment with Thomas Watson. Uh, I'm not sure I ever discovered exactly who said this. I want to say it's Watson or Luther, but the idea is there. The devil wants to use all your other sins to get you to the sin of despair. Because that's where everything ends. That's where he can end someone. But a true Christian can't. Let's avoid going there, but a true Christian will not be allowed to drown there in the slough of despair, despond, will not be allowed to die in Downing uh, Castle um, by giant despair. God protects us from that. Let's look at a few scriptures here for the last part, and then we'll move on. Uh, For section four of the confession, uh, letter P, And I'd like to look with you at Isaiah 50, verse uh, 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. You just keep trusting God. You just keep waiting upon God. And serving the Lord as he calls you. And the spirit will quicken you. And revive your assurance. And that's important to keep in view when Satan will give you the opposite advice through the world. And sadly well-meaning Christians sometimes. Stay upon your God. He alone is your salvation. He alone can give you your assurance of salvation. Let's look uh, to letter Q. And the scripture given, Luke 22, verse 32. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. That's what I want to focus on. I've prayed for you, Jesus says, that your faith fail not. Peter is telling, or excuse me, Jesus is telling Peter, this is what's going to happen. You're going to deny me. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. The devil can't get you. And Christ has prayed for all those who believe then or believe through the witness of others later in Luke 17. He's prayed for you. He's prayed for you. If Christ has prayed for you, his sheep, and having you in mind by name, Satan won't get you in the end. Watch out for how much he can mess up your life. We're studying that a lot Wednesday nights, right? With the sixth petition and Thomas Watson. But he can't take you. Uh, Look at letter R. Micah 7, verse 7. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, and God will hear me. These are the kinds of words that know you can have and grow in your assurance and how to have it. And then lastly, Jeremiah thirty-two forty. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. The good shepherd, remember, goes out and gets the sheep that stray and brings them back. He doesn't lose one of the sheep that the fathers give me. Because of the everlasting covenant, he will not allow you to reach utter despair and ultimately depart from him. Hallelujah. This is something we fear and worry about privately if we don't express it. And Jesus is assuring us to have assurance of salvation. And it's ultimately based on him and his everlasting covenant. Remember we just studied Westminster Shorter Catechism number 36. What are the benefits in this life, in this life of justification, adoption, sanctification? And among them was assurance 
of God's love. That's a benefit. We can have assurance of God's love now, which is the same as saying we have assurance of salvation in God that will be there in the end. Now, if God's love is assured, you are assured to be entering his house that Christ is preparing for you and its fullness of joy. It's guaranteed. These things are not in jeopardy. These things cannot be lost. You may be assured of your salvation. And you're called by the scriptures and the confession reflecting the scriptures to go after more assurance, beloved. Don't be shy of that. Go after it. Pray that God will help you grow in assurance of salvation and enjoy it. For indeed, as Thomas Watson says, faith will make us walk. Assurance will make us run. You will finish your race so you can keep running with confidence with your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And it's based on your names being in Christ himself, that ticket with your name on it, that seat with your name on it is based on you being in Christ himself, who is in heaven, assuring you on earth, and his name being written in you. How is it that your name can be written in the book of life? Because his name's written in you. Acts 11, verse 27. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. See, who you are, your identity is Christian, which bears the name of Christ. Thus certainly your names are written in heaven with him. Revelation 14.1 assures you of that. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Revelation 22, 3 to 4. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Beloved Christians, how much should you rejoice? And I say it again, rejoice for having Jesus. His name is in your name. His name's on your foreheads, so your name is written in heaven with him. You are assured of your final destination and thus your peace to sit back and relax as you wait. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of his spirit. Washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. 
Beloved, rejoice. Your names are in Christ in heaven. This is the message for you this morning. Rejoice that your names are in Christ in heaven. And be assured and be at peace. Let us pray. Lord God, we do thank you for the assurance of salvation. Let us thus turn our worries into prayers, as Paul says, and have the peace of God that passeth all understanding and keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, the author and finisher of our faith, in whose name we pray. And all your people said, Amen.